0: Good evening. Good to have each one here on a beautiful Sunday night. Hasn't it been wonderful weather today? I just thought, wow, this is this is unusual for November. Maybe it's usual for you. Maybe I just haven't gotten used to Kansas yet. But uh, man, up back home in Michigan, where if we didn't have a foot of snow already on the ground, we'd, we'd be wondering what was wrong. So, but thankful for the beautiful day the Lord has given us and thankful for the uh, just great day just overall a good message this morning and good food and fellowship and just really had a good day and uh, trusting the Lord's going to give us a good evening tonight trusting the Lord will uh, meet with us one more time let's stand let's invite him to come Amen. Amen. brother Wes would you please pray for us Amen. Please remain standing. Brother Deans, come in the latest in the singing, and let's let it ring. 436, 436.
1: to page 108 108 thank you for your good singing
0: every need his hand supply amen and as we heard this morning all of our spiritual needs our broken lives amen so glad that he's able to mend broken pieces amen not really just mend he he just replaces it brand new doesn't he new creature amen new life praise the lord thankful for that and not just the, does it stop there, but just every need that we have in this life. He knows how to meet them. And uh, that's a great thought as we go to the place of prayer, isn't it? That what every one of these needs, the Lord knows how to how to meet them just the way that they ought to be. Thankful for a God who's too wise to make a mistake. Amen. As we go to the place of prayer, we, we know the needs. Most of us, we've they've been in our prayer uh, list for uh, quite a while, but let's let's continue to remember uh, this revival. Um, a little unusual, Friday through Tuesday, but so that the good news is, is that um, if this is the first t- uh, day that you've gotten in, we still have two more days, so um, uh, that's encouraging. We're not over it yet. We're not closing out tonight, so we'll do that Tuesday, so, but. Uh, Let's pray for the uh, continuance of this revival. Let's pray for the brewers as they're ministering to us and the load that they carry. Let's uh, remember uh, the physical needs. Let's remember those of uh, our church that are traveling uh, today and tomorrow. Uh, Lord, uh, keep his hand upon them. Let's remember those with spiritual needs that we've been lifting up. Let's uh, continue to remember our missionaries, our college students. Let's remember the school. Lord would help. Let's remember uh, this uh, baby, uh, Tyler Ann. Lord would continue to touch and help her, and as as well as Becky, uh, uh, that Lord would uh, help her to continue to do well. Are there needs that you'd like us to remember specifically tonight? All right, let's remember Brother Gary. Lord would touch him. know there's many unspoken requests and these needs are really important God knows about each one of them secrets on earth are not secrets in heaven and so glad for that glad that God has uh, his eye upon us and he knows just exactly what we have need of as uh, we go to the place of prayer brother Shaper would you mind leading us to the throne of grace together yes I I guess I should have specified we've got two (laughs) (laughs) Yes, if you'd please pray for us. of your holiness and how important that is. and make you happy in all that we say and all that we do. Father, we ask that you touch Brother Zora one more time. Lord, we've appreciated how you've helped him, the messages, the truth that he's presented to us. And we just ask that, that Lord, that you continue to help him. We ask that you make it easy for him to preach. And, and Lord, that he sends your uh, strength and your help and your words in his mouth. And, and Father, help us to hear. Help us to, to walk in the light. Uh, the Lord show us light. Don't, don't allow us to be dark.
1: Okay, it's time for our evening pastor's offering. If the ushers will come, we will be singing page 41.
2: 41. Bless you,
0: Thank you so much for your giving. Uh, just quickly, by way of announcement, I want to remind you that revival continues uh, through Tuesday. Um, also, um, on the 1st of December, we are planning a special dedication service for Bryson, and there will be a um, dinner afterwards. And we our intention is to have the evening service right after the meal so that... Uh, so you only have to come once. You won't have a day like today where you, some of you didn't get a nap at all, and uh, so uh, we'll we're, we're do things a little differently uh, on the 1st, so I um, want you to be uh, planning for that. All right. I believe that we're going to turn the service over to the brewers at this time. So thankful for the truth that we heard this morning. Thankful that God knows what to do with broken pieces. Amen. Let's pray for the brewers as they minister to us in song and in the word.
2: Well, a person that is really saved and realize the awful condition they were in, realize how helpless they were, realize what was pending in the future for eternity, really are genuinely saved, the only natural result will be to turn right around and give to God our life. When we realize how 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 desperately we were in in helpless condition, and how the awful foreboding of an eternity without God. When those realities settle in, and we realize God has forgiven us and made us ready for heaven, our only our only response is, Lord, here here's my life, yes. here's all of it, <clears throat> Amen. Thank the Lord. Well, it's a sure delight to be here at the Altamont Holiness Church and right here <coughs> with you all. I'm glad I'm here tonight. I'm glad I'm in Holiness meeting. Yeah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Good to see this good crowd out here on a Sunday night. Thank you so much for coming. God bless you, one and all. Amen. Thank the Lord. God's here, and His presence has been here. His He's helped us already in this meeting, and he wants to do much, much more for us. Amen. Thank the Lord. Good to see our our friends that that are here tonight. And uh, my, I'm just uh, honored to have you here. Good to have the Shapers with us. They've been representatives on Missionary Day at our Central District Camp, and we're glad to see you all again. God bless you all and your family. Amen. Certainly a delight to see the Moors tonight. Our friendship goes back a long time with them, and uh, just an honor to have them. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank the Lord. And you that are regular, my, we're glad you came to church tonight. The regulars. How could we have church without the regulars? We visitors wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> but uh, you're here, a good group of you. Amen. Thank the Lord. We just have certainly enjoyed the day. Well, I'd like for you to turn to some scriptures in the book of Hebrews, if you would, for tonight. And uh, we'll start with Hebrews chapter 1. Amen. Amen. And in Hebrews chapter 1, I'd like for us to <coughs> look at, um, uh, well, we begin reading, I guess maybe in, in, in verse 2 to kind of get a, a context. Half of these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. By whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Before we go to chapter 8 for the next text, I want you to at least circle in your mind the words found in verse 4, better than the angels, more excellent name than they. Then slip over to chapter 8, this time verse 6. Again speaking about Jesus Christ, but now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. So the theme is continued here. And of course, we would want to think, at least circle in our mind in that thinking, a more excellent ministry, a mediator of a better covenant. And also better promises. Now, all of these betters up till now that we have at least observed, I'd like for you to slip back to chapter 6. And we're going to look at one more verse, verse 9. Sort of the application, sort of the based upon, or where do we go from here? Verse 9 says, Beloved, we are persuaded better things of you, and the things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. So we have this theme of better. And now we have, based on all of these betters, he says, I am convinced, I am persuaded of better things for you. Isn't that wonderful that the things that are better is just not contained within the Godhead himself? But he has a way of making things better for you and I. And Paul, and the author, I almost slipped, didn't I? Paul didn't write. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. But But the author said, I am persuaded of better things for you. Our Father in heaven, we come to you this evening. We want to thank you for this revival. Thank you for your manifest presence. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. And Lord, we know you're at work. We know that before we ever arrived, we know that you were already beginning to work with hearts and deal with souls. And Lord, we believe, no doubt, that the work of conviction is even intensifying in the hearts and minds of individuals. They may not even understand why, but it's because you are dealing with them in a more tent way this weekend. We pray, Holy Spirit, that thou will now be with us. The Word of God is going to be the centerfold of this service right now. And now, Lord, as we look into God's Word by the ministry of preaching, anoint this vessel of clay. We remember, oh, God, we remember the very first time that we preached under an old gospel tent, July the 3rd, 1977. Oh, how apprehensive we were, how anxious we were, how scared we were. And oh, how we prayed that you would somehow help us that very first time. And now these many, 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 many times since then, we stand behind the sacred desk, and we still recognize how we need you. We still feel that inadequacy. We still want you to know we depend on you like as those are our very first time of preaching. Help us, O oh God, to utter truth. But, Lord, more than that, a touch hearts, we pray tonight. And you know, Lord, how to take the truth and drive it home to the soul. Take it home to the heart. Turn lights on. Let truth Sink in and have its effect, and we'll thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. God has given us, through Christ, as introduced in chapter 1, a special uniqueness. And the entire book of Hebrews is highlighting how Christ, the revelation of the Godhead, is superior and is better. It's the introduction of the New Testament gospel from, from making the transition from the Old Testament covenant. And the author is, is speaking multitudes of times throughout the full length of the book, showing how the gospel of grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ is better than the old covenant. And it begins with the fact that there's a better, better, better revelation of God Himself. And then it moves on. And so tonight we have the fact that God has given to us a uniqueness, a special uniqueness in the Christian faith. That makes it superior to all others. Yes, sir. There is something of a, uh, of a improvement. Improvement's not the right word. That, but, but there's something of a, uh, a, a, a standalone or uh, a, an excellency about the Christian experience that just that just makes it better than all the rest. Hebrews. Some theologians and Bible scholars would call it the better book. And so it stresses this superiority. And for the sake of the message tonight, I'd like for us to look at some of the superior uniquenesses of Christianity. I say this, I say this for the the benefit of those, perhaps young people even, That are looking over the situation, looking over the world, and looking over the church. Looking over the ideas presented in the world, and looking over the truth presented at church. Let me just say to you that are just looking at it, let me say to you young people, by every measurement... By every kind of gauge, let me tell you tonight that the Christian faith, the Christian way, is by far the better way. And so I say that for the benefit of those that are making decisions in their life regarding which way they're going to take. Let me tell you tonight, the way that's been presented to you by the way of Christ and the gospel and even the Holiness Way, I tell you tonight, it's the best way. I say it for the benefit of perhaps those may be out in life and in the world trying to find their way, perhaps have been disillusioned, perhaps have even been discouraged, even disappointed. Sad to say, maybe there are those who have even misrepresented and been poor representations of the gospel. And it's caused one to feel a little lost and caused one to wonder which is the truth. Oh, friend, let me tell you something. Let me tell you, there is no hypocrisy in Jesus Christ. Let me explain to you something. There's nothing inferior and there's nothing that will let you down in Jesus Christ. For He is the one that's superior and above all, and quite frankly, To the one that is looking over the Christian faith and trying to decide, is there anything of value? Is there anything of, uh, uh, of essence? Is there really reality there? Let me tell you something tonight. Let me explain to you this evening that in the Christian faith, there is superiority. In Jesus Christ, there is authenticity. In Jesus Christ, there is genuineness. In Jesus Christ, there is that which is trustworthy. Christ had no guile, the scripture says. And therein, my friend, you and I can have confidence that there is no hypocrisy in Christ. The first unique, superior quality of Christianity is found as it is compared to all others, the unique, Strength of a loving God. That's a unique feature to the Christian faith. A unique feature to the matter of the Christian experience. It starts with a loving God. God who is full of love. The scripture right out says it in those three words. God is love. For God so loved the world. God is the embodiment of love and compassion. He is the one who has expressed the greatest human interest there is. He has lots vested in you. We notice in false religion and those outside of the Christian religion tonight, we notice especially amongst the idols, there is never, 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 never a complexion, or a countenance of compassion, or love, I've had the occasions. I'm not throwing stones. I'm not not uh, uh, grinding axes tonight. But I am just letting you know, and I've had those occasions where I have been able to view literal idols. I've observed. Idols. I've seen these idols and these images. If you would look at a National Geographic or perhaps another kind of, of magazine, some missionary magazines, missionaries have, have, have taken pictures of, of idolatry and the idols, perhaps amongst the people that they're trying to win to Jesus Christ. Amongst the pictures and the images of the idols that I have observed... Not a single one have a loving countenance on them. Their eyes are full of of hostility. Their mouth and their facial expressions and the other matters of their facial countenance, my friends, is scary to look at. I've held a number of revivals in Tacoma, Washington, at our West Holiness Church there, Mount Tahoma. A few years back, <clears throat> there was an outreach amongst that church, among the uh, Laotians and, and some of the Orientals and, and even the Chinese. The open door was such that when their mother and dad went to the to the Buddhist uh, shrine, the mother and dad would go in there and burn incense to the idol of Buddha and, and, and so on and so forth. They would let the children just run free, just run free. Held her skelter and the church had uh, uh, opportunity to be able to uh, invite those uh, those those kids over to have a bible club or a uh, some sort of a service or something for them while their parents uh, were in uh, burning incense to the false god of buddha i've driven by that that shrine i've been by that place that buddhist temple i think is what they call and of course there's an image of buddha out there There he was, my friends. He wasn't even handsome. I don't think any young lady would even look upon him and be attracted to him at all. No countenance of compassion or passion or love, but an awful bitter-looking face. A little bit like me, probably a little bit overweight, but nevertheless, not happy. At least I'm happy with my overweight. (laughs) People ask us, we travel them down the country. Do you have any restrictions in your diet? Anything you don't like? That's what I tell them. I say, I'm sorry. Uh, That's our problem. We like everything. (laughs) But nevertheless, I'm just saying that there is a uniqueness in Christ in that He is full of love and compassion. And even the pity and he, as he looked down off from the cross and he had pity even upon the railing malefactors. and when one of those malefactors was turning to faith and repentance and called him Lord my friend the expression in the midst of pain and anguish was a countenance of compassion and love for a soul that was just seconds away from dying and he said just Just this day, you'll be with me in paradise. I'm talking about the passion of the Lord. The paradise. I'm talking about the loving nature of our God. We have a loving God. We have, dear friends, in Christ. We have in Him. We have the exemplification. All four Gospels... All four Gospels are the testimony and the eyewitness accounts of those who spent time in his presence. And if one wasn't good enough, God wisely put in holy canon four different viewpoints of this same one called Christ. And the record of him going about doing good. The record of him going about meeting needs. If it was a wedding that had run out of punch, he was there ready to take care of that problem. If it was a person who was blind, he was ready to take care of that problem. If it was a person that was so lame that he couldn't even get out of bed and go to the troubling moving waters of Bethesda, Jesus was there to help the one who couldn't even move in time to get help. Oh, yes, yes. I'm talking about passion and compassion. The love of God. Mark it well down, dear friends. The Christianity and the Christian experience is superior and unique in the sense that it all starts with a loving God. Secondly, dear friends, there's another unique strength being better in Christ. The book of Hebrews brings it out. The other Other epistles in the New Testament four times. It's given record of it in the Gospels. And that is, dear friends, different than all other religions. The Christian faith has an atoning Savior. An atoning Savior. Other false religions have their expectations. False religions have their founding principles. They have their rules, their regulations, and their culture. Islam has its five pillars. Judaism has its, of course, Ten Commandments. Buddhism has its five principles, or precepts, I should say, and on and on and on tonight. But I tell you, dear friends, in Christianity, we have an atoning Savior. All of the religions, my friends, is just made up of Expectations. All other religions, my friend, is just made up of ideals or concepts or even virtues that perhaps someone should try to live up to. But no other religion has a way tonight to atone for and make a way to forgive those who have failed to live up to their expectations. Let me just say something here tonight. No one to misunderstand me at all. But friends, whenever our holiness crowds become nothing more than mere expectations upon people and we don't offer them a life-changing experience through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are not preaching and presenting the whole truth. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Just like false religions, just holding up expectations, holding up the ideals, holding up the virtues... Some of them with a control feature built in to manipulate, perhaps even brainwash, and try to get people to all cave in and line up and do it like their religion so prescribes. And if you fail, if you don't manage to meet it, if you somehow don't get it, then they know how to excommunicate you. They know how to kick you out. They have to know how to ostracize you. You. They know how to do it in such a way to make you feel embarrassed and either rush back in with conformity or just forever be out. Let me tell you something tonight. With Christianity, there's one. It's almost as though, and I don't mean to say this in a wrong way, but I, like I was mentioning earlier in this revival meeting, the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that Jesus Christ, slain from the foundation of the world... Oh, someone would say with a smirky smile, Brother Brewer, you know Jesus Christ wasn't crucified until about 33 AD. He wasn't really slain then. until then, but oh, Jesus, so acquiesced and so surrendered to the plan of the cross. Back in the eons of eternity, my friend, before the first words of creation were ever spoken, You know why? A wise God, an intelligent God, a a God of omniscience, as He is, was smart enough to know if He would endow a human being with a will. Some rascal down the road was going to take that will and use it wrongly. And God knew with His intelligence and omniscience, before He ever set it out, before He ever started, that in order to redeem and restore in order to somehow bring fallen humanity back in uh, in, in, in into favor with in, in, into line into favor with God there was going to have to be a method of atonement it's almost like as though God anticipated the sin problem i mean sin didn't catch God off guard at all oh thank God For the love of God that drew salvation's plan. And thank God for the grace of God that brought it down to man. The song says. And so Jesus Christ was so looked upon by his heavenly father. That he would become man and die on a cruel cross. And so we have superior uniqueness in the Christian faith. In that we have not only a loving God. But we have an atoning Savior to help those of us who have fallen and failed and miserably blew it in relationship to living up to the expectations. Thirdly,
0: not only is there a
2: loving God, an atoning Savior, but there's also in the Christian faith, unique, unique to Christianity, A risen Lord. No other founder of religion. No other founder of a false god or a false religion or a false cult ever, ever died for their followers in a meritorious way. Oh, some of them may have been martyred and because of that martyrdom, there was an attached affection, attached devotion But none of their deaths, my friend, were in any sense of the word meritorious, in any sense of the word atoning. But friends, I needed something more than just mere atonement. I needed something more than mere forgiveness for my sins. I thank God for the precious blood that was shed in my behalf. For, the, for, for my past sinful record. I thank God. Whenever God began to deal with me about my sin. And began to convict me about my sin. And I stepped out and knelt down at that altar. And I began to confess my sins. And asked God to forgive me. And I told God I didn't want to go back to them. I'm glad, my friend, that the blood had been shed. It was there available for me. It was there. It had not lost its power. It was working. It was possible. And it worked that night. It was there efficacious, if I can use that word, for my need. But, Oh, friends. Thank God for a record now that has been cleansed. A record of sinful past has been forgiven. And all the things that I've done that was wrong has all been pardoned and and forgiven. Thank God. Theologians call it justification. And really it is. Without too strong of a play on words, He can forgive us so thoroughly. He can wipe away those sins of ours so cleanly that that it's just as if we'd never sinned. That's because of his precious blood. Really, I needed something more than that. I needed something more than just having my past record cleansed away. It's the same problem that our society is facing in its judicial system and in its criminal system today. Multitudes in their performance of crime have been apprehended, arrested, Finally, with trial, have been sentenced to time in jail, time in penitentiary. Different, varying lengths of time of sentences. But here's the problem our society has in the criminal justice system. Here's what the problem is tonight. It's called the recidivism rate, and anybody in the court system, and then even in the law enforcement system knows exactly what I mean whenever I make that term. And what is, is, is this, that the likelihood of an individual who has spends their very first jail sentence or pen sentence, the percentage likelihood that they will also come back a multitude of times. It's high. Each state has its own statistics relating as to what its re-citizenship rate is into the penal system. It's as high in some places as 80 and 90% of an individual who spends one time of sentence in prison will re-enter there for another crime. You see, a person can serve a full-length five-year sentence, serve it clear to the end of day, and be released, no longer obligated to society, no longer obligated regarding that, perhaps finish his term even uh, with, with, uh, uh, you know, the uh, uh, probation and whatever, and then finally be an utter, total, complete individual, free of any obligation for his past crime. But all that he's gone through hasn't done a thing to change him. On the inside. The United States government judicial system knows how to penalize those who have committed crimes, but the United States penal system has no ability to change a person and keep them out. They have made their attempts. I won't criticize any of the attempts that they've tried to make. And some statistics have indicated some, some, some attempts and methods have worked better than others. But nevertheless, my friend, the point I'm trying to make is this. As it relates to God, I needed something more than merely the forgiveness of my sins. I needed something that would keep me from going out and sinning again. I needed something that would change me on the inside. I needed something that would make me a different person. Otherwise, I would be doomed to go right back out and do the same sin all over again. And thus, thus be under the same penalty. And so I not only needed an atoning blood to forgive me of everything that I did wrong. But I needed, thirdly, I I needed tonight a risen Lord. I needed that same God in Christ to have risen from the dead. And in that resurrection power, that resurrection power, now have a power and an ability, a strength and a grace to share with me that I might now no longer live dead in my trespasses and sins, but be raised to newness of life. Thank God for a risen Lord that not only did he die on a cross, but in the third day, again, he rose from the dead. And thus now has resurrection power. And that resurrection power is given to us. It's given to us at the moment of our salvation. Theologians call it regeneration. Theologians call it the new birth. Life From above, we're talking about the power and the life that God gives us that makes us new creatures in Christ Jesus. And old things are passed away, and all things become new. Surely the devil snickers up his sleeve. Surely he snickers up his sleeve whenever churches on every church, every street corner almost, will tell their new converts that have labored in sin and sick and tired of the sinful life And after they get saved, then turn right around and tell them, now you go out the door, you'll have to keep right on living in sin. you got to live in sin, word, thought, and deed every day. Surely the devil snickers every time to think that I've got my own, I've got my own little system here to keep people living in sin. Let me tell you something tonight. I needed something that would give me a help and give me something that would enable me To keep me from going out and sinning again. and Thank God for a risen Lord. That will share that risen life with me. In regeneration. And make me a new creature. So that now I can live above the very sin. That I used to always fall to. Oh I say praise God. I say thank God. I'm talking about the changed life. I'm talking about the victorious life. Let me tell you something. The risen Lord has power to help you overcome every temptation. The risen power of Jesus Christ has has strength and grace to enable you to say no to the devil and live pleasing to the Lord. Whenever I was saved, I was in a mess. I was raised by good godly parents. My father's in heaven. My mother's a sweet little saint of God who's in church to Holiness Church tonight. I don't have time to tell you my whole story, but outside my own personal testimony, I love to tell the personal testimonies of my dad and my mother who were saved right out of the rough, right out of spiritual ignorance. I don't have the time to tell you that whole thing. Maybe the Lord will lead some other time. My mother was a Methodist Sunday school girl who started a Methodist Sunday school out here in western Kansas. And when they transferred to Chicago and then Decatur, Illinois, attended and was in the youth group of a Methodist church all of her teenage years, all of her life. And all of those years, right up to the time that she graduated from high school, had never heard One single gospel message and didn't even know that you needed to be saved. I heard over a telephone call my grandmother, which was her mother, trying to explain that the concept of eternal life was what it was, was the memory of a person's good life on this earth. And she was trying to explain that eternal life was like you and I have wonderful memories of the good things that Abraham Lincoln did for our nation in eradicating that awful injustice of of slavery. And now because of the good thing that Abraham Lincoln had done, he lingers in our mind these over a hundred years later, and that's eternal life. That's the best gospel my mother ever heard and was raised with. I don't have time to tell you about her conversion except the fact to let you know my dad got saved in a powerful way as a result of reading a little Gideon's New Testament. And they were dating and my dad witnessed to my mother and my mother got saved. He witnessed to his sister. They would double date with his sister and my now uncle and he would double date and they would double date and he witnessed to his own sister and she got saved. My dad witnessed to her fiance who's now my uncle and he got saved. And he witnessed to my grandmother, his own mother, and she got saved as a result of his conversion of Reading Little Gideon's New Testament. That's how the gospel entered into the brewer lineage. That's how it got in. My dear mother. A sweet little saint. I know it would probably be embarrassing to her. But I just want to tell you about the life change, can I? In one of her sinful eh, nights out in sin. Before she was saved. I don't know what they were doing. They were going to go somewhere and someone hollered out, I believe, of the car and shouted over to the car that she was in and said, hey, where are you going? And my mother in sin said, to hell if I don't change my ways. Those of you that know my mother would hardly even dream that she ever said such words. She was on her way. let me tell you something, a life change came, a life change. God came in with His resurrection power and changed and transformed two lives there. And God led them, God led them, God led them into the way of holiness. I'm just telling you that there's an atoning Savior and there's a risen Lord. I was raised, I was raised at the knee of my parents that taught me with a family altar where we read our Bibles and prayed every day, and they taught me the truths that I needed to know. I was raised in such a way that they guided my life, and, and you know what? They taught me how to live. They showed me the things that I shouldn't do. They told me the things that it was all right for me to do. There was restrictions and there were rules. And I thank God for every one of the disciplinary measures that my mother and dad gave me. You see, it was kind of tough, you know. I didn't have any brothers or sisters. And so, I was my mother and dad's worst child. I mean, I was the one that got every licking they ever gave. I mean, I got them all. Every last one they gave, I got them all. Oh, but I was their best one, too. But I just say that, my friends. I thank God for the training that they provided for me. I remember standing in that little church, it was the second pew back on this side. I was just a little lad. I couldn't have been much more than, I don't know. I couldn't have been much more than four years old. I just remember standing there after the preacher got through preaching. And I was weeping, crying. And I didn't know why. And my dear, my dad and mother looked at me and caught that. And saw me. And they said, son, Johnny, do you you want to? Go and pray. And I remember shaking my head, yes, I didn't know what else to do. And I went down and prayed. I'm just saying, my heart was tender to the moving of the Spirit as a small child. As I grew, I was tender to the Lord. As I grew and continued to grow, I would seek the Lord. But you know, I had a problem like so many holiness young people have, and that is going to the altar and making a start, and then you know what? Something happened. We end up doing something that's not quite right, we lose what we felt like we got. And then the next time the Lord deals, the next time the Holy Ghost begins to convict to the altar, we go again. Lord, I'm sorry. I know i done wrong back then. I know I failed. I'm sorry. We get back up and go a little while longer, and then you know what happens. Uh, we all know what we're talking about, don't we? We've all been there. Some didn't destroy their faith like mine was nearly destroyed. Some were able to get established, and some were able to get it taken care of at a younger age than, than I was. But at the age of 16, when God began to really deal with me, I went to a holiness rally on a Sunday afternoon at the end of March of 1970, 70, my time's getting away from me, 74. Brother Jimmy Sutherland preached that message that Sunday afternoon had my name written all over it. I didn't go to the altar. I didn't seek the Lord. I didn't pray. But that Sunday afternoon message began the work of what the old-timers called old-fashioned conviction. When someone talks about living under old-fashioned conviction, tune me in, brother. I know all about it. And I lived under old-fashioned conviction the rest of March, the rest of April, May, and June in the first part of July, <clears throat> in a revival meeting in that same church on a Tuesday night, Sister Judy Williams was preaching. I don't remember a whole lot what she preached about that night except God laid in on me and dealt with me that whole message. He did, she did say something of interest, and there was somebody on the other side of the, of the church. Then I thought, oh... I'm glad they're here, but other than that little slight little thing, other than that, I don't remember anything else she preached except the fact that God had me cornered and cornered well. When she opened the altar, I was the first one to hit to the altar, but I came. I came with a problem. I knew that I could repent. I knew I could get saved. I knew that I was ready to turn my life over to God. I knew I was ready to uh, quit the sin business. I knew I was done. I knew the Lord would forgive me. I knew the Lord would do what He had done how many times? But I had that damaged faith. But how can I keep it? I have failed and failed and failed and failed and failed so many times. How can I keep it? And the last thing I had to deal with before getting saved that night was that issue, my damaged faith. I knew he could save me that night. There was no doubt. But could I get up Wednesday night or could I get up a week from now and say I've kept the victory? That was damaged. Now, folks, I do not recommend people making a lot of vows in life. Now, if you find the right lady, guys, make that vow. That's a good one to make. And if it's in the will of God, my friend, that's a good one, you'll be glad you made. But don't mess up your life with a whole bunch of confusion with making too many vows in life because it just gives the devil a little edge sometimes. But I made a vow that night and I said to God, God, you know my trouble. You know my struggle. You know how I've tried and tried and tried and I have failed and failed and failed. Lord, I want to be saved. I don't want to go the way of the world. I don't want to go the way I've been going. I want to go your way. I'm surrendering to your plan in my life. And I know that you will save me. I believe you will. But I will make a vow tonight that if you'll save me, that if any time in the future, any time, as soon, as soon as I reckon, realize a fault on my part, right there in that split second, I'll be careful To say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll make it right. We'll correct it. And Lord, as soon as I recognize it and realize it, back to you I'm going to come. I'm not going to go on just throwing my faith away. I'm going to keep my faith in you by making the correction. Put it under the blood and confessing it right as I go. And I'm not talking about a sin of religion. I'm not talking about that at all. But I made a vow to God that once I recognize a fault or an error on my part, and that's really when, that's when we become responsible anyhow, is when we see it. And I promised God, as soon as I saw it, if it was at a church, I'd say, Lord, straighten me out. I want to be right. Forgive me. If I was out there on an old tractor going up and down a field with a plow, or a disc, or anything else, and I recognize my wrongness, Lord, here it is, under the blood it goes, I'm not going on that way, I want to be right, and I have kept my vow to God, and you know what God did for me that night, He saved me, He saved me, I'm telling you, He saved me, I knew He would, I got up from that altar. We had the rest of the revival meeting to go, and I felt like I was on cloud nine. I mean, I felt just like you felt whenever you got saved. You know how it is. I mean, I thought the devil had died, and I was on my way to heaven. Well, I was on my way to heaven, but the devil sure hadn't died. And I started school after revival was over. Well, I was in school all through that, but, but but uh, well, I guess I guess it was in the summer. I wasn't in school, really, but, but we were in a small farming area, and we all, all of us got together all the time, Uh, and and I remember living a life victorious, things was going great, and I was praising God, it was just, just so wonderful, knew that I was saved, knew I was walking with God, and I was walking along, and I was doing just fine, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the devil came up to me and said, Boo! And there he was. He started in. He started in on me, on those points and those areas in my life that he had always gained the victory on prior to. Right there he knew right where to go. And there I was. I was tempted. There I was. I was beat. I was right there. Had been to this place numerous times. Numerous times. But all this time... When the devil did that to me, I sat out there on that old farm and the old devil was attempting me. I said, no, devil. And I stomped my foot and I said to the devil, I'm not doing that one this time. And whenever I resisted the devil and said no, do you want to know what happened? I mean to tell you just what the Bible says will happen. He went. Oh, when the devil, re- when I resisted the devil, he fleed from me. It was just like I got the victory all over again. I felt like I was back at that altar when the Lord saved me. I had victory in my soul. Well, you know what? I had something to testify about the next Wednesday night, and I did. I said, I've been able to keep the victory so many days. This is the longest I've kept it up till now. So, now, you know, if I ever was involved in translating the scriptures, on that very verse, I would have a brewer's translation. And I would add a phrase to that very verse where it says, You resist the devil, he will flee from you. I would add an italicized phrase. You know what they are, they say they're not in the original. My italicized phrase would read like this. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you, comma, but he'll be back. (laughs) And sure enough, I was out there on the farm, whatever I was doing. And there again, I was victorious. God had given me victory over battle number one. And sure enough, the old devil come around, and he started in again. And guess what? He thought the old trick would work again. And back to that area of weakness. Back to that very area again. But you see, this time I was a little stronger. I'd said no the first time. And I was a little stronger this time. And my thought was, God gave me the victory that time. I believe he will give me the victory this time. And this time with a little more assurance and confidence. I said, a little quicker, I said, no, devil, no, not anymore. It's over. And guess what? He went, he went away. I can't say like Sister McConnell used to say, shoo, I heard him go. I don't know if I heard him go or not, but he, he went. And you know what? He comes back occasionally. I've been serving God now all these years, 61 years old right now, just let you know that. And you know, just every once in a while, he sneaks up on me says boo again, and who knows when it'll happen. Might happen before I get home tonight. That's just the way it is, you know. But you know what? God has been able to help me say no to the devil, and no to the devil, and no to the devil, and right on the spot, I've been able to keep the victory. And now, have I ever caught myself? Have I ever caught myself and maybe some things I needed to ask God to forgive me? Have I ever caught myself in some things that I need to go back to the one that I love the most? and say, I'm sorry. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, I have. Certainly. But you know, I didn't just let it go on and go on and go on and go on. As soon as it came to my mind, as soon as it came to my recognition, I took care of it quickly. And that's how I kept the victory. Now, why am I spending so much time around this area? Unusually, my friend, I don't always do it, especially when I come to this point in this message. But here's what God's showing to me tonight. This is the unique feature of the Christian faith. It's the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord, shared with us, that gives us a power and ability and a grace to live above sin. That's the victorious life. That's the way God wants us to live it. Victorious over and above the temptations of this world. Fourthly and last. The last thing that is superior and unique about the Christian faith. In addition, my friends, to a loving God and a an atoning Savior and a risen Lord. Fourthly, it is a transforming Relationship. All other religious founders are gone and dead, or inaccessible to their followers. Many years ago, my I can't hardly believe I'm. I can't even I can't hardly believe that I'm. 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 I'm I'm talking this language. I I say many years ago, I preached my first sermon. In, in 1977, how long ago was that? How long ago was that? I had a pastor who said he'd been preaching for 40 years. I'm just saying tonight. <clears throat> in our first pastor in Hagerstown, Maryland. And there was this <clears throat> little guy. He come just parked way down the end of the street. He'd gotten him, uh, it wasn't like a, I mean, it wasn't a flat uh, monitor screen at all. It was back then when, when VCR was, was, was just coming out, okay, just barely coming. It was high-tech. And this guy had this great big box, this great big video uh, uh, display or whatever, and, 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 he, and he was just, a, just a hustling down the street. And I thought, I wonder where he's going with that box. wonder what he's doing with it. And he got down to our, our sidewalk, and he, he's come up to our sidewalk, and there he is with one hand trying to keep this big box from falling. He's knocking on our door. And I thought, what in the world is this guy doing? And I opened the door, and we began to talk. And he was a follower of Reverend Sung Young Moon. Do you remember him? Yeah? I mean, boy, if you ever wanted to get married, he was the guy to go to. I mean, he'd marry a thousand couples all at one time. Are you seeing what I'm saying? Here was a follower of this man. Was he not Korean? Does that sound right? One of the Orientals. And he began to talk to us about his religion. And he wanted to show us this, this VCR on his display. I don't know for sure whether we even got that far. I don't even I don't remember even that he even got that far in our discussion. But I remember this is what I said. I said, <clears throat> you ever met him? Have you ever been to him? You ever seen him? I mean, how well do you know this man? Oh, no, no, no. He says, ah, I'm too low. I'm too far low in this, this religion. Uh, no, I, I'll never get, uh, no, I'll probably die and never be able to see him. And here was the religious founder of what he was trying to present and going through all of that energy and effort to spread his religion. And had no direct access to his leader. And I said to that dear man, I said, you know what? I want to tell you something. I pray and have communion and relationship with my Savior every day. And I said, you want to know something else? He talks back with me. And I said, did you know something else? time that I need to be in touch with him, he's available to me. Yes. Right now, when you and I are talking, I have communication with God. And I begin to share with him about my relationship. Oh, they were so right whenever they penned those words of the song. And he walks with me and he talks with me and tells me I am his own. I'm telling you all of this. No other religion has a transforming relationship like the Christian faith. That as we have this wonderful relationship with Him, friendship and communion and conversation, it changes us and makes us more like Him. And as we walk with Him, and as we talk with Him and as we cast our cares on Him and then He shows us His care for us and we have an intimate relationship, it changes our nature, and changes our character in a cultivating, developing fashion so that we have intimacy with Him and love with Him and relationships so that I'm growing and I'm developing. Its song says it gets sweeter as the days go by. And the reason why it gets sweeter as the days go by is because the more I talk with him, the closer I get, yeah. the closer he comes to me. I remember one time going through a real battle, a real struggle in one of our pastorates i didn't know what to do i didn't know how to handle things i didn't know what to say and i was so burdened and so battled and and i had even prayed and it almost seemed like it was hard to pray and i remember one i believe it was a monday morning and i was praying and seeking god and it just seemed like i wasn't getting anywhere even in my praying and there I had this problem, and I didn't know what to do, and things that I had tried didn't work, and maybe even got worse. And I thought, oh God, what can I say? And I just began, I was just pouring my heart out like I'd always done. In the midst of all of that, I remember hearing oh, it was, I'm not saying it was an audible voice, but it was God spoke to me, and He said, I love you, son. Oh, just to hear those words. Just to hear something said to me by the voice of God. I'm talking about relationship now. It so transformed me. It so changed me. It so helped me. I mean, it just lifted me up above. And it was at the beginning of the week. It was on a Monday. You know, it's the Monday. You, that Mondays are the days pastors always resign, you know. <laughs> Why well, I told... I told one conference leader I used to just carry around my resignation in my front pocket and give me the right provocation, but I'm gonna hand it right there. But God had lifted me up on that Monday morning so well. I mean, God, I mean, just to hear his voice that he said he loved me. And I went about to do my work and labors in that pastorate, and guess what? The problem hadn't been solved. The issues hadn't changed. No, nothing like that. But I sure could handle it better. I could sure handle it better because I'd heard from God that He cared for me and He was on my side. And sure, the Lord helped in the overall situation and gave us victory. But the point I'm trying to make is this transforming relationship. It's superior and it's unique to the Christian faith. A loving God, an atoning Savior, A risen Lord and a transforming relationship. And no other religion offers the combination of those four things. As we stand together, you've been a wonderful crowd to speak to. I've done my very best to present to you how good God is. I've done my very best to present to you how good the gospel is. I've done my very best to present tonight the case that could easily convince and persuade us. The author of Hebrews says, I'm persuaded of better things for you. Tonight, tonight, I don't know where you might be spiritually, young people. I don't know where you might be. Any, no matter what age, I don't know where you might be in your journey. But the altar's open tonight. If you feel like you need something from this loving God, and you feel like you need something from this atoning Savior, If you feel like you need something from this risen Lord, and you need something of a transforming relationship with God, the altar's open if you feel the need. (laughs) Who is it would feel like they need to come and pray this Sunday night? I don't know what your need might be. I'd know the solution. I didn't have to get up here and tell you all about your needs and your problems. Especially whenever I have a solution that can solve every problem. Especially whenever I have something that's superior, that'll work for whatever your need is. Who is it tonight who would feel like they need to come and pray? Not going to linger long, but the altar's open. Speak to us. Come to God. Veil yourselves of what God can do for you. Any heart hungry, any heart needy, any heart that feel like they need to come to Jesus, this is the best way. This is the best way. going to linger long I'm certainly giving you a chance to think about it not moved or swayed by pressure or emotion but rather a solemn time of deciding because it's the right thing to do who would feel like they need to come and pray as we play tarry just a moment longer before we have the closing prayer anybody feel like they need to pray tonight God will help you. He loves you. He'll help you. Amen. When she finishes this chorus, when she is done with this chorus, we're going to have the concluding prayer. Does anybody feel the need of prayer? Thank you so much thank you so much for coming thank you for listening so well your attendance and your attention both has just been great tonight thank you so much brother moore we're so glad to see you tonight thank you so much for coming would you dismiss the service in prayer tonight amen